Oh, thank you, Jesus. First Peter 1, verse 3 to 4. I'm not going to go according to the structure of my message, but I'm still going to read the passage to you. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy mm, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This passage, eh, when I was unpacking it, <laughs> I don't know how Peter and Paul and the rest wrote the Bible. Because the things that they wrote are not things that a normal human mind can easily just write. They are things that God has to show you for you to understand and know that these things, they are not, they are not ordinary. They, no, Andrew, I can't just sit down and write this. You see, when, the more I read scripture, the more I realize that those who say the Bible was written by some white man and given to us, they have a long way to go because no human being can sit down and pen these things. No. You, you need to have had a certain revelation and insight into what God is doing to write this. So Peter is writing to a people who were scattered because, very likely because of persecution, they were scattered abroad and they were resident in other places, temporary places, just like the people of Ukraine have found themselves in other countries because of war. And these people, because of the gospel, they were scattered abroad. And Peter needed to remind them of what they had come to know, that they had come to salvation in Jesus. And there was something better for them than the houses that they had lost, than the property that they had lost because they had been scattered abroad. So he says that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. So let me hold it there. So the very first thing that Peter is telling them and telling us is that God has begotten us again. When he says God has begotten us again, it means that God has given birth to us again. And, and if I say that I've given birth to you again, it means I gave birth to you some time ago, right? So when the Bible says that God has begotten us again, what Peter is saying is that some time ago, God gave birth to us, but something happened. Now, when you read Luke chapter 3, verse 38, it was given a genealogy, a list of people that were in the line of Jesus. And when it got to Adam, he says, now Adam, the son of God. So it means that when God created Adam, Adam was not just a creation of God. Adam was actually a son of God. Adam was born out of God. So the Bible says that let us make man in our image and outer likeness and what? Let them have dominion. So when God was creating man in his image and likeness, what he was doing was that I am giving birth like myself. But, but sin came in and death came in. And when sin came in and death came in, this is what happened. We lost that father-child relationship. But thanks be to God that this God is a God of abundant mercy. So Peter tells them that this is how God begot you again. Out of his abundant mercy. Because you know the thing about mercy is that I see you in your misery and I see you in your suffering. And I have compassion on you and I have pity on you. And because I have compassion 
compassion and pity on you. I want to do something about your misery and your suffering. So God looked down on humanity and realized that out of our sin, the sin that Adam committed and the sins that we committed, there was death, there was sickness, there was failure, there was a lot of confusion, there were wars. God looked at us and saw our sufferings and he had pity. And he says, out of that abundant mercy, he decided that I gave birth to you some time ago. I lost you, but I will give birth to you again. I will give birth to you again. And so, so Peter says, out of the abundant mercy of God, he gave birth to us again. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He saved us. So, mommy, according to God's mercy, in fact, God looked down. He saw Emmanuel. He realized that, hey, if it is not my mercy, where Emmanuel will end up. So, by my mercy, I will give birth to him again. God looked at a lot of us. Some of you here, you would have been the hardest criminal. They would have been looking for you for years. But God, out of his abundant mercy, and when he talks about abundance of mercy, it means, in fact, the Greek word means that it is large. Do you know what it means? It means that Andrews, when God was chasing you and you were running away, because his mercy was large, his mercy was so much enough to get to the extent that you will run away, so that by the time you get to the end of your life, his mercy is still there to meet you, to save you. Oh, some of you did not get that. The mercy of God is too large that someone who keeps on drinking and messing up and they keep on telling the person to change and they keep on preaching the gospel and the person keeps on drinking and messing up. God says, my mercy is too big. Said that, look, you can go on and on and on and still despise me, but at the end of your life, you will still meet my mercy there. That is why some people we thought will never become born again. They become born again and they shock you. Because the thing about God's mercy is that by the time the person gets to the end of it and realizes that, hey, this is the end of life. I don't know what else to do. Mercy meets the person there and the person gets broken. And mercy lifts the person. And mercy brings salvation to the person. It is God's mercy that has saved us. You know, the reason why some of us are not able to serve God very well is that you see, the extent to which you see the mercy of God really helps you to to appreciate the extent that God came for you. So some of us were born in pastors' homes and where we never did any bad things. So the mercy of God that you have seen save you, it is it, it looks small in your eyes. But for someone who has gone into deep things and the person has been redeemed, the person looks at what he went into and sees his redemption and says that hey, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, where would I have been? So Peter says, according to the abundant mercy. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, he says, but God who is rich in mercy. <laughs> God who is what? Rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God who is what? Rich in mercy. If you want to see one of the richnesses of God, Look at his mercy. Do you know, in Lamentations, he puts it this way. He says, his mercies are new every... Oh! His mercies are new every morning. Do you know, there's an auto-renewal of God's mercy every day. So that even when you think you have exhausted the mercy of God the day before, you wake up in the morning and there's a new... Ah! 
there is new mercy. That is how come God was able to locate you and save you. So, so, so Peter says that according to the abundant mercy of God. But look at what he says. He says, God begot us again to a living hope. And that is the title of my message, A Living Hope. That God did not just give birth to you. He gave birth to you again to something very important, which is called a living hope. Now, I was studying the scriptures and the two words that Peter puts together, they seem to, why do you want to put these two words together? Because when you take the word living, the word living means something that has life in it, something that has vigor, something that has strength, something that is not dead something that is alive then he uses the word hope and the word hope means to anticipate or to expect something or to have a certain assurance or confidence that something will happen so now Peter is saying that when God was saving you and I he was giving us a certain hope for something that he would do in our lives that is a certain expectation and assurance but you see the thing about hope is that you can have hope and wait and wait and wait and not get what you are expecting and so out of frustration your hope can be dead how many of you have had dead hope before and so out of frustration your hope can be dead but Peter now qualifies the hope and says it is a living hope because when you think you are giving up on what God says he will do in your life then all of a sudden God comes out of his word and reveals to you and shows you that what I said I will do no matter how long it takes I will do it it is called living it is hope that does not die. It is hope that is always refreshed. Because the word of God is quick and powerful. That's what the Bible says. It is quick and powerful. It is active and alive. So when I think that I am giving up on, on that which I am trusting God for, then I come to church and all of a sudden God speaks to me through the word or speaks to me through the song ministration or speaks to me through someone, then all of a sudden what I thought was dying comes back alive again. And so he says that he begot us again to a living you know it's not just the issue of the living hope that is exciting because there's a foundation for the living hope he says that this living hope is through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead so now i'm coming home so peter says first god gave birth to us again he gave birth to us again out of his abundant mercy but he gave birth to us again unto a living hope but he says this living hope is through the resurrection of jesus do you know what he's saying he's saying that just in the same way that jesus was put in the tomb for three days and the people thought that he was dead and the people thought that by now he was thinking so they were even taking perfumes to go and dress his body and the people thought that we have silenced this guy who used to stand and say i am the resurrection and the life ah by the third day this man they went to the tomb and they did not see him in the tomb just when they had given up because mary and the others went to the tomb to go and dress the body they had given up peter and the others were going back to fishing they had given up i mean every single person that was around jesus had given up because what they were hoping for was dead but peter says that just the same way that jesus rose from the dead on the third day in the same way the promises of god concerning your life the things 
God has said concerning your life. They are not dead just when people think that they are breaking you off. Ah, just like the resurrection power of Jesus. You also come alive and the promises of God come alive in your life. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Living hope. So can I tell you, in just a moment, because our living hope is beyond the physical things. But can I tell you in a moment that when you feel like giving up on the physical things that God has promised you, even though the living hope is beyond the physical things, remember that Jesus rose from the dead. And when you remember that Jesus rose from the dead, you can tell yourself that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Ah! spirit that raised Jesus from the dead if he lives in me he shall quicken my mortal body the same spirit the same spirit no it's not a different spirit it's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives inside of you do you know what it means baby you are an embodiment of the resurrection power of Jesus so every time you are working you are working with the resurrection power of Jesus and so when you are working and there is a death circumstance before you you have got to remind yourself that light is coming and when light is coming darkness must give way when light is coming darkness must give way when it means when it looks like it is dead before me, ah, light must shine and cause that which is dead to come back alive. The foundation of our living hope is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Surprisingly, yesterday when I was preparing this message, one of our youth from the headquarters just sent me a WhatsApp. She has never WhatsApped me. She WhatsApped me and said, Pastor Imam. Uh, I wish my phone was here in the office. He said, she said, Pastor Yima, can someone become a Christian without believing in the resurrection of Jesus? And I sent her a message and I said, no. You have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus because it is foundational. Then she said, ah, but Pastor Yima, when Jesus was living, he did miracles and people believed him. And I said, yes, the people that were in his days were with him. They saw the tangible things that he did. They saw the physical things that he did so they could easily believe. But you and I are not with him physically. So he has to leave an evidence behind for us to believe him just like the people that believed him in the day. And the evidence that he left behind was that he went to the grave and he rose up on the third day. Without that, our salvation is not complete. Because anyone at all can claim to be a miracle worker. Anyone at all can claim to be a teacher. Anyone at all can claim to be a savior. But if you have a savior who went to the cross, he was nailed, it is documented. He died and he was buried and he rose up on the third day. Then you can stand on the basis of that and say that I have the one who is the resurrection and the life. And because he's a resurrection and the life, I can trust him to bring life into every situation in my life. That's the foundation of our faith. Oh yeah. That's the foundation of our faith. Someone asked me, Papa Saima, you were not there. How do you know? You see, the thing is that, even though I wasn't there, the things that he has written in scripture about his resurrection power has been born as witness inside of me. I don't have to be dead to believe that Jesus died and rose up. No, I have seen I have seen enough proof. That's why Peter says it's a living hope. 
Because look, Andrews, I have come to points in my life where I felt like giving up. And this same thing called living hope, just when I thought I was giving up, just when at the last minute, this same God came through. I have heard people giving testimonies upon testimonies upon testimonies. Just when they were about giving up, at the last minute, at the last moment, I have seen this God do it over and over again. I don't need anyone to tell me that he's a resurrection and a life. I don't, I, don't, I don't need anyone to tell me he is a resurrection and a life. So Peter says that unto a living hope. But look at something. Look at something. Look at something. Revelations 1.18. It says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Then he himself added, Amen. Do you know what amen means? Let it be. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Let it be. Then he says, I have the keys of Hades and of death. <laughs> you know, it is one thing Jesus Christ dying and resurrecting. And it's another thing he resurrecting and having the keys of Hades and death. Because he could have died and resurrected and come out and not taking the keys. But he's telling us that, look, the reason why he died in the first place was so that he could go and meet Satan face to face. And tell him, brother, you have held the people in bondage for over 4,000 years. Okay, can, can you hand over the keys now? Can you hand over the keys now? Can, 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 you, can you hand over the keys now? I, I, I watched a certain uh, was it movie or video where they were depicting how Jesus went to the grave. And just when he entered the grave, and Satan, they, they were having party because Jesus was dead. So they were having party and enjoying. Then all of a sudden, they saw some lights beginning to come into the room. Then the light began to shine. Then, then Satan sent a demon to find out who is there. And when the demon got there, he had to run back because he couldn't, he couldn't stand the light. Then Jesus himself appeared and said, Satan could not look there. Jesus did not even ask for the keys. Immediately he got there. <laughs> Immediately he got there. He said, Jack, collect. <laughs> because, you see, <laughs> some of you did not care. <laughs> Immediately he got there. He says, well, collect. And I can imagine Jesus being a sanguine and receiving the keys of hell and death. Can you imagine a sanguine getting the keys of hell? I've got the keys. I've got the keys. I've got the keys. I mean, Jesus got the keys of hell and death. <sighs> Do you know, that's why death does not have any power over my body. No, as your pastor, I've come to the place where I'm not afraid of death. If you've heard me my messages, I'm, I'm not worried about when I'll die. Because, you see, before death can lay hold on me, it needs permission from my Savior. If I ever die at this time, it's only because Jesus gave permission. No, death cannot lay hold on me without permission from... The same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in me. No, so for death to lay its hold on my life, it needs permission. The spirit in me must give him permission to lay hold on me. That's why Paul says that, look, Paul, Paul got to a point and said, right now, I am torn between dying and living. No, a human being got to a point and he said, I don't know whether I should die or I should live. He says, if, if I die, it's for my gain. 
if I live, it is for you. But now I'm in a fix. I don't know whether to choose. Can you imagine? God, I said, let me get to that place where I can also, death can come and then we're having a negotiation and I, I can actually stand and say, I don't know whether I should go or I should stay. Oh God, may you help us to rise in our faith with this living hope to get to that place where we can, we can, we can actually be in a place of confidence and knowledge. Now Paul says, I am gone out like a drink offering. Like, so he says that, look, they are taking him to Jerusalem. They are going to kill him. And, and people are worried and Paul is not worried. It's like, I'm going out like a drink offering. In other words, they are going to pour me out and I'm going to go up unto God. <laughs> can you imagine? This is how someone views them. Because you see, when you have living hope, when you have living hope, do you know what it does? And it's taking me to my next point. It makes you look beyond the things on this earth. It makes you know that the earth is not all there is. <laughs> it makes you know, and that is the next point. Peter says that this living hope is to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. So this living hope is to an inheritance, baby, an inheritance that God has given to us, which cannot be corrupted, which cannot be defiled, which cannot fade away. So what he's saying is that, look, you and I, our hope in life is beyond cars and houses and buildings and qualifications and certificates. You know what we do? The reason why we are so concerned about these things that can be corrupted and decayed is because we don't understand the living hope. Because the last time I read the scriptures, Matthew 6, 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom. Then all these things that people are chasing after will be added. In fact, the Greek word added means laid by side. So when you are seeking the kingdom, the things are laid by the side. So you walk into them. So, so, so for God, God is not concerned about what is car. No, what is car? What is house? Haven't you seen someone buy a brand new car and the next moment the car is crashed, is, is destroyed? Haven't you seen someone build a house and the next moment it's burnt? Haven't you seen someone going for a certificate, graduated, the next week they say he's not alive again? Like, these things can be corrupted, they can be decayed, they can fade away. So God, God says the silver and gold is his. He says the heavens and the earth are mine. So it is not about all of these things. They are good. They make life comfortable. But if God was saving you just for them, then I'm sorry. Paul says you are the most miserable of all men. He says if our salvation is just about the things on this earth, then we are the most miserable of all men. But then Peter now says that what God saved us unto is unto an inheritance that is not corruptible. An inheritance that cannot be defiled. An inheritance that can, does not fade away. So do you know what, Andrews? When I'm living my life, I'm living my life with the living hope that no matter how life treats me, no matter how things go, there is an inheritance stored up in heaven for me. Ah, there is an inheritance that is stored up in heaven for me. And you know what? The interesting thing about this word reserved in heaven that Peter uses, I looked in the Greek. It means that you watch over something thing you keep an eye on the thing so that you don't lose it so do you know what it means the inheritance that god has for you reserved in heaven the reason why he says a living hope is that you see based on the resurrection of jesus god has kept a heavenly guard and watch over your inheritance can you imagine in heaven there is no thief there but still god has kept a watch over your inheritance oh oh some of you did not get that heaven there is no thief, thief there heaven there's no armor about there no no 
the last time someone tried to do something rebellious, God did not even fight. It was Archangel Michael who had to go and boot Satan out. So in heaven, there is none of that. Too. But even with all the purity in heaven, Peter uses a Greek word that says that your inheritance, the things that God has purposed for you, he has actually kept a guard on them. He has actually kept a watch on them. So do you know what God is saying? He said, that, look, I have secured your inheritance so much that you don't have to worry about when you get to heaven, whether you have the crown of life or whether you have... No, you don't have to worry. He says, I have secured it for you. So Peter says, this is the living hope that we have. <laughs> that is why when Stephen was being stoned and he was dying, the Bible says Stephen, full of the spirit, his eyes were opened and he saw into the heavens and he saw Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty and he began to declare it and the people got so angry because they couldn't understand how a man could say that he has seen into heaven and seen the son of man standing at the right hand because you see the thing is that until you are at the place of death, you can't see the things that God has in store for you but you can have an assurance in the scriptures that the things that God said he has for you, they are actually secured for you in heaven. Wow. Secured for you in heaven. Oh God, thank you for the security of the things that you are purposeful. I can imagine how the angels are jealous day in and day out. and Because they look at us and they look at the things that we do and still God has his inheritance secured for us. So Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, if it were not so, I will not tell you. If it were not so, I will not tell you. In my father's house are many mansions. And he says, if it were not so, I will not tell you. I think this morning, all that God wants to do is to shift our focus from the earthly gains onto eternal gains. Because if Jesus died for you just for you to get cast, then, then Jesus too, he didn't have anything to do. No. He saved you so you can, you can enter into eternity with him and not just enter into eternity. You now become joint heirs with him. When the Bible says you are joint heirs, it means that the things that Jesus belong to Jesus, the things that he's supposed to inherit of the Father, you are a co-inheritor with him. Can you imagine? It means that, look, everything that Jesus has access to, <laughs> that, that, that I am a joint heir with him means that I have an access to the things that Jesus has. That is why I'm not even waiting to get to heaven to be able to access the things. Because I know that if they are kept in store for me and reserved for me and they are watched over for me, then on this earth, the things that I need from him, I can now begin to claim them from him and say, Lord, I need this. And God, I need this. And God, I need this. And God will look down and say, yeah, my son, yeah, my daughter, you have gone to the place of maturity where you can handle it. So I'm going to release it to you. See, the thing about inheritance is that inheritance does not just go to anyone. It, even though the inheritance is yours, you have to mature to access it. The reason a lot of us are not able to access the inheritances of God is because we are not matured. And so let me read this passage and we close. So what manner of life? In Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 to 5, it says, If then you were raised with Christ... 
seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So Paul says that, look, because you are dead with Christ, and you have been raised with Christ, set, look, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. He says that things on the earth are below you. <laughs> oh, some of you did not get that. The things on the earth, Andrews, are below you. Some of you worry so much about what shall I eat, what shall I wear, what shall I drink. You worry so much, and I'm not saying that don't work, and I'm not saying don't labor, and I'm not saying don't, don't be diligent. Do all of that. But I want you to know that your Father in heaven can take care of you much more than how you think you can take care of yourself. So the things on the earth, stop worrying about them. Andrews. There are times that I have not been paid on salary, yet my family went through the whole month. And when we did calculation and looked at the things we have spent, the mathematics does not make any sense. No, it, does, it doesn't make any sense. You calculate it and it's more than the salary that we were not paid. And yet we are able to live. We are able to sort out our expenditure. God is not worried about those things. Those things are easy for you. He can touch someone. Look, I'm telling you, just about two weeks ago, we needed money to sort out something for this building. The night before, 10 something, a friend of mine sent money. Almost 2,000 CDs for the church. Someone who has never sent it. You think God, God cannot move anyone at any time? No, you, you think God cannot do that at any time? No, God can handle things at any time, any way he wants. So he says, set your affection on things above. You set your mind too much on things on the earth. That's why you're not getting them. You are chasing after the things rather than chasing after God. He says, chase after him because he, he himself, he left all his glory to come down to die for you. He left all of that to come and die for you. So even God, the God, the owner of all the things, it didn't even matter to him at a point. He had to leave all of that to come in the form of humanity to die for you. So if God, it didn't matter to him for your soul, what do you think that God cannot do for? I mean, what? You no, know, some of you, if you were God in heaven, you would have been afraid to come to there because you're afraid by the time you go back to heaven, someone would have taken over everything. But, but God was not afraid. He, he left everything, all of that glory, and took upon himself humanity to save you. And even when God was going to the grave, if I was God, I don't think with the way Satan has meant to take over the earth, I don't think I would have gone to the grave because that was Satan's great chance to keep me forever and become God. But God was not afraid. He walked into the grave and he came out of the grave. What is it that is on your heart that you think God cannot do? Is it a marriage that God cannot do? Ah! Having people married... When no one thought they were beautiful? Is it the house that you think that God cannot give you? Haven't you seen people who have not, who have not worked half the, the years of another person and yet they had so much favor and they built their house in a very short time? Is it car? 
Is it car? I went to the headquarters to go and preach on a pastor's appreciation day. Later did we know that someone was buying two cars for the pastors just, just that day. Is it car? Someone can just buy it within a day and give it to someone. So, so what is it on this earth that you think that you need that God cannot do for you? That you set your heart and your mind so much on it. If the God that we serve was able to conquer the death and the grave, then it is not your little things that you want. So he says, set your affection on things above. Set your affection on eternal things. Set your affection on things about, I want to walk the streets of gold. That should be my affection. I want to have the crown of righteousness. I want to have the soul witness crown. I want to walk in heaven and have crowns on my head. That should be my affection. I want to behold the face of God. I, one of the things that I'm looking forward to is seeing God. One of my greatest passions in life is how I want to, I long to be in heaven and just be, I don't know whether I can even behold his face because the people around this throne, they can't even behold his face. But, but this is my passion. I just want to see God. Set your affection on things above. I want God to walk into my room. Literally. Set your affections on things about because you see when that happens, every other thing that is around because what, what better thing for God to walk into my room and show me things that I can't see physically? By the time I walk out of my room, do you think I will not be commanding the elements of the earth to my advantage? So instead of setting my affection on the things on the earth, why not set my affection on things above? The living hope. Living hope. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. To die is gain. I want you to change your perspective about life today. Begin to see life from God's perspective. He gave all for you. Is it all that you need that he cannot do? He can, baby, he can turn your life around in, in one second with a call that you never worked for. He says that one is not a problem. Just set your affection on things above. This morning, I want you to just pray. Marco Shadavaha. Tell the Lord to change perspectives. Tell the Lord to change your perspective. And it help you to begin to see things. The way he, the way he sees things. He went to the grave for your sake. Korabadaba Shadavaya. He died and he resurrected for your sake. So you can have a living hope. Not a dead hope. So he says, set your affection on things above. He says, in Christ, is, you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on things on the earth. And he says, we are seated together with him in heavenly places. Can you imagine? That should be where our affection is. Seated together with him in heavenly places.